And Jesus came promising something different, a new covenant. And we want to keep that in mind. They are not the same. Some people try to merge them into one and make them the same, but they are not the same. He is not saying that we have to keep those old covenant requirements of ceremonies, feasts, and sacrifices, etc. Our command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. A higher law than what was given in Torah, but only blessings with no curses. That's a startling thing to say, but it's right. It's made very clear to us that there are only blessings and no curses from God for those who are in covenant with God through Messiah Jesus. Jesus alone offers this awesome relationship. There is no other way to have that relationship with God, and that is the only relationship with God that he is offering. People try to merge them and make them the same as Moses, and they are not. Through Moses, God had given the people of Israel a temporary covenant, which was designed to be in effect until the Messiah, until Christ came and gave the new covenant. If you see, this is stated in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 to 19, if you want to look that up. It's also stated very clearly in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, as well as Jeremiah 32, verse 40. And then finally, again, in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, the full statement of this is given. And in that, the Old Covenant, being a strict code of laws, which the people were required to keep strictly, with a death penalty for failing to keep them. Moses told the people they would fail as a people to keep the law, and when that happened, they would lose those blessings and be cursed. Now, this is the history of that nation and that people for 3,500 years. Continually, they accept the law, they promise to keep it, They break the law, they lose their blessings, they get cursed over and over and over throughout history until finally God said, we're done with that. And in AD 70, he dispersed their nation throughout the world. So if you read the history from Moses until Jesus, you find this cycle of curses and blessings repeatedly. It's revealed to us in multiple different books, but in the Chronicles, in uh, the book of Judges, and in multiple of the Psalms, we read this. So you can find this record. Uh, also shown in the Torah, of course. And it summarized how God delivered them when they turned to him in Psalms 106 and 107. So if you read those two Psalms, it gives you a really good picture of the history of Israel from Moses through until AD 70 when God dispersed them. I recommend reading them for insights to realize and understand how the Old Covenant was unable to deliver them. But God would always send a deliverer when they cried out to him. We must understand that this is not the same as the New Covenant, but it is a picture of what came in the New Covenant, because that Deliverer would always restore the people, and that's what Christ has done us in a perfect sense. Those earlier senses were always incomplete, imperfect, and temporal, but they're a picture, a shadow, of the perfect deliverance that comes through Christ, through the Messiah. So there's much more to investigate in this regard, but this gives us a good start. Now, in the book of Nehemiah, we learned that an entire generation of Israelites had never heard or read the covenant of Moses in their entire lifetimes. And when they finally read it together, the people wept bitterly for understanding how their rebelliousness toward God had caused them to be cursed and lose their land. They recognized that what they had done as a people was exactly what Moses warned about, and they had received the curses that Moses had warned about. So why are we taking time to go through all of this? It's about understanding the old creation versus the new creation. 
the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. We can't fully understand the value and the beauty of the New Covenant if we don't understand the Old. And what we learn from Jesus and his emissaries is that he fulfilled the Old Covenant laws as the perfectly obedient Son of God that no mortal man can be. He was the perfect embodiment of all these laws required, so therefore he became the embodiment of the blessings they offered. Catch that. Don't miss that. Because he was the perfect embodiment of all the law required, therefore he became the embodiment of the blessing they offered. In his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus took the death curse of rebellion that was against us all. He took it completely, and in his own body, he nailed it to the cross. So the perfect son, who had never rebelled or known any sin, became the very offense of sinful rebellion itself on our behalf. He let God pour out all wrath and judgment on him. And it's an astonishing truth because what happened is he took our place. So on the cross, Jesus pronounced forgiveness of sins. It's hard to believe, but he never cursed anyone, not even from there on the cross. He only pronounced forgiveness, and then with his last breath, he pronounced that our debt was paid in full. Therefore, the old covenant's requirements are now fulfilled completely to the letter. This is an astonishing truth, but we need to understand this to really get what God is giving us in Christ, this perfect rest. So in doing this, Jesus took all of the old covenant curses upon himself so that he could then give its blessings to all who depend on him by faith. This staggering thought, as we reviewed earlier, is so profound that it, it takes time to really grasp it. Nowhere does this mystery become more vital to comprehend than with the Sabbath itself, the rest which God proclaims and requires of us. In taking the death curse, it is now impossible for the people of Jesus to be cursed for violating this old covenant command. However, in giving us the blessings, Jesus himself becomes the agent of those blessings to us. So Jesus himself becomes the rest which Sabbath exemplifies. Sabbath is a shadow of a greater reality, and Jesus extends that reality into an eternal and spiritual dimension that the Old Covenant could never do. This is hinted throughout the Old Covenant and through the prophets, but could never be understood until Jesus rose from the dead. In doing this, Jesus has given us freedom from condemnation, and that freedom gives us the opportunity to learn to walk in the Spirit so that we can do all that pleases God the Father by faith. And the primary thing, the most important thing, what I call the foremost thing that pleases God, is taking hold of the rest of Jesus our Savior by believing that His blood, His death, His resurrection— covers our spiritual debt before God completely, perfectly, totally. You see, the Old Covenant and its Sabbath was about the original creation, or what could rightly be called the Old Creation, the creation which became cursed through Adam's rebellion. That cursed creation is where we live today physically, but it is not God's final plan for humanity. And we can say this because God has stated that we who are in Christ who are figuratively crucified with him and are figuratively risen from the dead with him, have become a new creation. For now, it is in this figurative sense, but will later be in a completed reality. 
He has given us this as a promise. He stakes his very name on it. We who are the first fruits of this new creation, which is hidden for now, will be manifest plainly for all to see when Jesus returns. Indeed, God tells us that the old creation is passing away with groaning and is waiting for the revealing of the children of the new creation to happen. I mean, that's just a big wow. Every day, this truth excites me more and more as we see the day approaching. Because in our world today, we talk a lot about how the world is groaning. You know, the the old creation is groaning because of what's going on in the world. And that just reminds us every day that it's waiting for the revealing of the children of the new creation to happen. And folks, that's us who trust in Jesus. That excites me. I hope that excites you because it's an amazing thing to think about that every day as we hear that, it's a reminder of what's coming, what good things God will do. For now, just temporarily, we are held in this hidden kingdom which cannot be seen by the mortal eyes of men in the old creation. But this is a season, a temporary era, in which the reality that is to come is still withheld. It's still hidden, but it's only temporary. And that day is fast approaching when the new creation will be revealed, when we will be revealed for what God has done in us. Friend, I hope so much for you that you are on this journey of being a doer of the word of Christ because that glorious day is the hope for all of God's people when Jesus comes again to bring us into the new heaven and the new earth and it's coming soon because he is coming soon. Well, what we're going to discover here at this stage is that the new day has already dawned on us. The final words of Jesus on the cross were, it is finished. The debt is paid in full. And what does that mean? The conclusion of the old covenant was made on that day. Yet many people still live as though we're bound by that old system today. There are hundreds of ways that we can see from the Bible in both Old and New Testaments that the old system has been done away with. But we also have the facts of history as well. You see, today it's impossible for any person to properly carry out the strict laws of the old covenant. And we'll cover the long list of reasons in another teaching series. But folks, God saw to it that it was all done away with. There is no temple. There's no priesthood. There's no sacrifice. There's no ark. There's none of that. It's all gone. And God allowed that to happen so that we would see that the old covenant has passed away. Because when Jesus died on the cross, as we learned in the last session, God had already pronounced that he was satisfied by the sacrifice that Jesus completed which is stated in Isaiah 53. In saying that he was satisfied, God is telling us that there is no more sacrifices needed. None. The old system of priests, sacrifices, blood, altars, and all that went with the old covenant system and the temple that it occurred in is now obsolete. And that's why God allowed the Jewish temple to be destroyed, because it's no longer needed. Indeed, Jesus said at the final Passover with his apprentices, which we call the Last Supper, that the bread and the wine that he was sharing with them were elements and symbols and traditions of a new covenant. See, it was a bridge from the old, from Passover, to a new. And at his last breath on the cross, Jesus sealed this with a proclamation. A single compound word is recorded, which means it is finished, and it also means the debt is paid in full. So Jesus was proclaiming the satisfaction of judgment that God speaks of in Isaiah 53, which we discussed in the earlier chapter. There's nothing more that can be done 
to perfect our redemption except to receive it and welcome the new way of life in following Jesus Christ as our Messiah King. This is the new day under that new covenant, and God wants us all to receive it, whether Jew or Gentile. In fact, for those who do receive it, he doesn't even call us Jew or Gentile anymore. He calls us adopted children. Well, wait, how can I be sure of this? Yes, God told us this new covenant would replace the old through the prophet Jeremiah, where it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, some people read that and they don't keep reading on beyond that point and they say, oh, it's not a new covenant, it's a renewed covenant, meaning the old covenant has been reestablished. And that's not at all what it's saying because it tells us right after that that it is not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. Okay, so God is telling us through Jeremiah that the new covenant is different, right? If it's the same, it's not different. And if it's different, it ain't the same. So very religious people struggle with this. But God is one who keeps his promises. He isn't changing his mind about this, regardless of who doesn't like it. This is the new day in his eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. These are the days of God's favor and kindness. We will learn to walk in his favor, and we want to accept this kindness and not turn back. The Father gives power and victory to those who completely trust in his Son. So now with this new covenant... A new creation is emerging. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the very end of all things of this age, we need to know that he is all about making things new. This is why he proclaimed a new covenant at his last supper with his apprentices and why we have a statement in the end of the book of Revelation proclaiming, I make all things new. This is what he's been doing since he walked on the earth. It's what he's doing today and it's what he will fulfill completely at the end, which is what the book of the Revelation is telling us about. So it's like bookends, showing that this era is unique. When he says, behold, he's insisting we investigate it, not merely pass by that comment. He didn't just come to update what had already been done and had already been said before. He came to make things new. The most important part of that is the new creation of being a believer, a follower of Jesus. He's not merely teaching us. He is creating something entirely new in us so that he can create something new through us. We become his partners, not just in introducing the redemption, but also introducing the rest and the restoration to others. This new relationship is not like the old one. Under the new covenant, Jesus and his life-giving spirit come to live within us in in an entirely new, eternal relationship. This was unknown before, except for kings, priests, and prophets. And they could lose the relationship. They, the Holy Spirit could depart from them, as it did from King Saul, if you read about the first king of Israel. But now we can rest with assurance because of his promises, and his promises are more than mere words. They represent his presence as we learned in the life-giving spirit section where we learned that in an early pa- earlier passage, the, the presence of his spirit is with us in his promises themselves. This abiding spirit dwells in us when we're trusting and walking with him, depending and believing his promises, and he won't abandon us. Jesus has said he will be with us until the very end of the age, and the age ends when he returns to gather us into the resurrection. So we're exploring the father's acceptance of his child. It's like my grandson. 
I sometimes work late, writing or doing my other business in my home office, and I don't like to be interrupted. Oh, but I do have this little grandson who just learned to walk last year, and he loves to come and see me. He comes boldly. He comes confidently. He has the biggest smiles for me. He comes through my door. He walks right up to me, knowing I will pick him up and listen to whatever he says. He knows I will not reject him. Sometimes he just wants to watch me work. Sometimes he wants to talk. Either way, he's confident that I'm going to receive him. So he comes with the biggest smile. He calls out to me, and I smile back because I love to see his little face. And I receive him because he is a child of mine. Yes, he's a grandson, but he's my grandson, right? So many of us who did not have a good father relationship cannot understand the heart of the Father in heaven. Jesus did not reveal his father to us as a taskmaster. He did not reveal his father to us as a boss or a lord. Although we call him Lord, that's not how Jesus revealed him to us. He revealed him to us as a generous, loving father, as Abba, which is Hebrew for dad or daddy, a close, loving, and caring father who so loves his creation that he will sacrifice his very best to have us be his family again. Yes, a father who's not only the architect of the universe— but he was also the architect of the greatest rescue mission in the history of the world, the redemption of the fallen Adam race. See, he's a kind and faithful father who will not fail to reach those who receive him as father through receiving Jesus as our Messiah, as our master and king, our redeemer. You see, I would never reject my grandson. There's just no way I could. And our Father in heaven will never reject us because Jesus has promised to keep us as his own treasures. And God will never reject his son because his son Jesus was faithful in all things, even that death on the Roman cross. So we all have a form of spiritual rads, a disorder syndrome. It's what is called commonly in psychological terms, reactive attachment disorder syndrome. And all of us have it in a spiritual way. It's hard for many of us to understand. But this spiritual disorder keeps us from believing God would love us or that he even could love us. In our disorder, we react to his love as though it's hateful. We react to his kindness as though it's a trick. We see ourselves as needing to guard and hide from him. We think we have to take or cheat or hide to win in the spiritual sense, never knowing that our Father has purposed for us to win. The Father is patient and kind. He eagerly wants us to come to Him and trust, to receive His kind and generous offer to be His family forever. Yes, He wants to adopt us as His kids that we should always have been. He wants us to be restored to the inheritance that we've lost through this world of rebellion. That's the message of the cross. The banner of Jesus is a sign of God's total commitment to save us. But we react to that as though it's hateful or a rejection in some way. But the rest for our souls is the confident acceptance of this inheritance that Jesus offers us as his family. A loving gift from our Father who loves us. The rest of God is the ultimate power and proof of the spirituality that Jesus gives us. And we merely accept this by trusting Jesus in faith and discovering how to let the Spirit of God empower us for all the life challenges that we face. The more we do that, 
the more we overcome the rebellious system of this world and the rebel nature of our unspiritual carnal man. So we find out that we want to have no confidence in our weak rebel nature. Again, what this teaches us is we want to put no confidence in our mortal abilities, and we learn to put all confidence in Jesus and his spirit in us. Now, the greatest fear, the fear of all fears of humanity, is rejection. And you may hear yourself or someone else say, I can't take that kind of rejection, right? That's a common phrase or idiom for us. We would prefer to run away from something that might be good rather than stick around and find out we were rejected for it. Now, this comes from the spiritual RADS, the reactive attachment disorder. This is why Jesus pledges to us, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's in John chapter 6, verse 37. I want you to memorize that. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So the question is, are we coming to Jesus? In the original language, this statement has an emphatic form that could be said, never, no, never, no, never, ever cast out. It's the strongest way for Jesus to say that he will never reject anyone who comes to him. That is the rest. That is the confidence. That is the hope, which does not disappoint. And all of this was foretold, not just from Jesus, but long before Jesus And what we have to realize is that all of the fear, all of the sense of loss, all of the sorrow, all of the hurt, all of the anger, the frustration and fury that we feel in this life and in this world is not from God. And it's not God's fault. It's from the enemy of our souls, the evil one who twisted our race into rebels through sin. It is he who is the father of lies, as Jesus called him. The father of lies promises satisfaction, but delivers misery. He promises independence, but he gives us slavery. He promises life, but gives us death. He is the father of lies. He's the one we must learn to reject, you see. Not the God who loves us enough to create a rescue plan for our redemption that included sacrificing his own son for us. Do you see how God had to bring the redemption of the cross, sacrificing Christ for us to demonstrate his utter commitment to us? Because by that, we can absolutely know, we see that and we can say, God is for me, not against me. What would our great, awesome Father in heaven withhold for us if he was willing to do that? God is the Father of all truth, the only one who will tell us the truth by sacrificing so that we can know the truth that sets us free. Jesus said that the evil one, the father of lies, was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. You see, the devil intended that Adam and our whole race would die and suffer condemnation that brings judgment and ultimate death. He did that deliberately, knowing that's what would happen to you and I. You see, he knew that God must condemn evil. He knew that the rebellion against God would lead to all manner of evil. He expected God to have a conundrum, an impossible dilemma about what to do with us. Because he knew God would have to condemn and punish sin in order to destroy evil. What he did not realize is how great God's love is. That he would take that condemnation and punishment in himself and then rise from the dead in the eternal resurrection as a human. You see, the devil miscalculated by failing to see the greatness of the Father's love. Yes, it's the love of God that is truly, awesomely amazing. And we only understand that if we first see that the wrath of God is against sin. 
This is what the banner of Jesus is about. This is why God wants us to see the cross. Yes, God has wrath against sin, but he's willing to turn that wrath into blessing for us if we will trust him. And trusting him means trusting his son, receiving Jesus as our saving, redeeming Messiah King. The new creation is the point. The one thing we have to understand is that God is making us new creations by our relationship with Jesus the Messiah. In church language, this is called the new creation in Christ. We've talked about that a bit, but in the new creation in Christ, this is unseen yet in this natural realm. But it's a very present reality in the Spirit. I've seen it thousands of times. People who are transformed within, and a new nature and a new spirit gives them a new kind of life. That new transformed inner life can so transform a person that even their body and their looks will begin to change. A youthful appearance comes upon them they didn't have before. We're the same person, but we're upgraded from the inside out. We're still who we were, but we have a new source of power to live. Many who were hopeless find hope that doesn't disappoint. Many who were considered worthless find true worth in Jesus. We who would rather die than live in this broken world find that we are filled with new life and energy and joy that makes every day an adventure. This new nature is what God is doing for us all. This is his program. This is why God will not cast us away who have been joined with Jesus. He has planted a new upgraded nature within us, the nature of his own son, and he will not reject his son. The new nature comes from being born from above or born again, as it says in John chapter 3. This is why Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Well, as we conclude this message, we need to understand the thunderous power of quietness. The thunderous power of quietness. In our journey as apprentices of Jesus, quietness is a tool of accessing great power from Jesus. One of the most neglected aspects of walking with Jesus in these days is the discipline of quietness. Modern people are clamoring and surrounded by noise all the time, yet God calls us to know him through the power of quiet and stillness. In Psalm 46, verse 10, it tells us, Our God says, Calm down and learn that I am God. All the nations will honor me. In the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Let all the world be silent. The Lord is present in his holy temple. In Isaiah, verse 30, chapter 30, verse 15, it says, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. You see how this is a theme that God is trying to get us to understand? Being quiet before God, deliberately and regularly, is a very powerful skill to develop. The more we seek him in secret, in quietness, the more we give him the opportunity to speak into our spirits and lead us. Now, this power of quiet is truly awesome. It helps us see our own faults more clearly so that we can seek the power of the Spirit to leave those faults and failures behind while reaching to the new transformed nature that gives us what we could never reach without him. It helps us understand our dependence on God. It therefore helps us realize that God is dependable and very near to us. It helps us draw nearer to God by realizing that he wants us to deliberately seek him and know him because he wants to know us. 
It helps us access all the resources of heaven in our spirit man by deliberately tuning out the clamor and demands of this carnal, fleshly, sin-filled rebel system that opposes God. We can shed the trappings of the rebellious world system and its values. The greatest part of this is that we can find quiet anytime if we practice being quiet deliberately as a tool of drawing close to God. The more we practice, the better we get. Best of all, the quietness builds our confidence in Jesus because we remember that he wants us to have rest for our souls. Well, our adventure principle is this. God's purpose for his people now is that we will have the confidence to rest in Jesus here as if we have already awakened at our new home in heaven. The scriptural proof of all of this, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Why? Because we've rested in Christ We have waited on the Lord through Jesus, and that new strength transforms our lives. It also says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How do we keep our mind stayed on God? Through Jesus. You see, Jesus makes God so compelling, so close, so near, so clear for us to understand his heart. When we look at Jesus, we see the Father. Our meditation is from John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. His rest brings unshakable peace. We want to meditate on that. We want to memorize that. I really challenge you to commit this verse to memory. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That peace comes from knowing that Christ has given us his rest. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Jesus wants us to be at peace. He wants us confident, not striving, not hiding, not proud, yet not anxious either. He has promised that when we trust in his perfect work, we can be at peace with a peace that nothing in this world can give and nothing in this world can take away. We can be fearless, unshakable. We can have peace that wells up from within that nothing else can give. This comes from humbly letting the life-giving spirit of his word take us into the depths of confidence that is rooted in his love and his promises. He is giving us his eternal peace. That's the peace he had with him to give him the strength and determination to go to the cross. You see, Jesus, unlike anyone before him, knew perfectly what would happen after he died. He knew that this suffering was over when he breathed his last breath. He knew that he would rise again in power on the third day, and he knew that he would be victorious, honored, given power from the Father. He wants us to have that same confidence. By standing with him, by receiving that life-giving spirit, being redeemed by his perfect work, and having a confidence in him that is unshakable, this is the way of Jesus. Be at peace in Jesus, friend. Be confident by resting in him. This is the desire of the Father in heaven for us. Thank you. This has been Chapter 7 of the Jesus Adventure. Learning all about the restoration and refreshing on the journey.